You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, we were talking, talking before about um, if you had three days and could go anywhere you wanted, where would you like to go? And I guess we had a little bit of a discussion at the front, you know, oh, would it be pleasure or ministry? I wonder if there's a place on earth you wouldn't like to go. I wonder if there's somewhere that, that you would think to yourself, you know, I have no desire whatsoever to go there. I've been to such a place. Now, there are many beautiful aspects of Kenya and, and Nairobi even. Um, but one of, the, one of the difficult aspects of, of Africa is sometimes the, the way in which various factors force people out of rural areas into, into cities. And... Uh, Areas become like squatter settlements, and then they become slums. And some of these are, are ruled um, in, a, in a fairly, fairly callous sort of fashion, fairly anarchy, lawless places. And there is a number of very, very large slums, but um, a group of us over 10 years ago visited a, one of the lesser-known slums, one, one called Matumba. And uh, I guess because I was, a, I was a pastor, I was invited to to come with the pastor of the church there on the outskirts of this slum and take a, take a little bit of a tour. So I took off my, my beautiful shiny black leather shoes. In Africa, you always wear a suit, and so I was kind of dressed as, as uh, best as I could. And I took off my shoes and, and put on a pair of gumboots because it just rained recently, and it meant that the little paths you know, throughout this, this slum area were actually just, just like, a, like a mud bath. And... And as we sloshed our way down the, a particular path and then took a left turn and a right turn and a left and a left and a right and a left and a right and a right and a right, and a right I suddenly realized I have not got a clue where I am. It's just like one big maze. And yet it, it all looked the same. It was, you know, tin shack after tin shack and, and, and despair on the faces of just about everyone I met. We'd, we did a number of house visitations and at least one out of every three people there were um, suffering from or were HIV positive. There was just um, an absence of dads. There was uh, children running everywhere. There was no school program, no, fo- no food, no hope. And as we headed back out of, out of the village, of course, I was attracting a number of stairs, and if I'd been alone, I would never have gotten out of that village. But because I was with, I was with the pastor there, who was a bit of a hero in the village, I was okay. And as we walked, walked back out and came back and sat in the church, I remember thinking, wow, this must be one of the darkest places in the world that I have ever been. No hope whatsoever. And as I sat down in the little pew in the, the shack, which was called the community church, I looked up and there on the wall was a, was a verse which was absolutely astonishing. And I'm going to share that with you a little bit later. We've been looking at this whole notion of bringing God glory by, by living lives that bear fruit. And fruit isn't something we have to try to produce. It's the inevitable result of abiding. And, and as a church, we've been exploring for quite a time now this whole, what does it mean to, to abide in Christ and to have Jesus abide in us? Last week, I've mentioned, I think we've probably exhausted it in many respects. Here are five disciplines 
you know, um, meeting and gathering all together um, of being still and imitating Christ and being devoted to one another in love and, and then being envoys of grace. I think we've talked and talked and talked about it. What we have to do now is, is put it into practice. And we talked last week about what does this mean to put this into practice? What does actually applying these principles actually mean? And I'll ask a number of questions and we'll revisit that a little bit later in the sermon as well. But just before we moved on from this last, last little discipline of being envoys in grace, of envoys of grace rather, being open to God and allow him to, to use us, of letting, letting grace, um, which has been, been released from the heavenlies, flow through our lives and touch the lives of others, before we, we just leave that alone, I felt the Lord just challenging challenging us to, to explore that aspect of being envoys of grace practically in that practical sense of what does it mean to be, to be actually a missionary. That aspect of our life, which we sometimes call personal evangelism, we're essentially saying, okay, we understand these disciplines, but now we've got to put them into practice. We've, we've actually now got to do it. But what does it mean to, to do this, this E, this, this envoy of grace? What does that actually mean? Imagine for a moment, as we, as we explored a couple of weeks ago, that you had just flown in from a foreign country. You had landed in Eltham with this, this wonderful team of missionaries, which in our gathered form, we happen to call Eltham Baptist Church. You've, you've found your place of abode. You've opened up your, your suitcase. You've, you've disciplined yourself and you've mastered the language. You can now say, G'day. And, 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 and you, you can now operate in a culturally relevant fashion. Now what do you do? Here you are. You've arrived. You're ready. But what do you do? It's, it's day two. Here you are, a missionary in Eltham and region, regions beyond. What do you do next? What does it mean to actually be a missionary in this, this place? And we've been having a look in, in this regard at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verse 20. This is where Paul uses the word ambassador. We use the word envoy. Um, but this is where Paul talks about the fact that we are Christ's ambassadors. It's as though God was making his, his appeal through us. That's what it means. And I wanted to explore that briefly, briefly tonight. And then over the next few weeks, this whole area of personal evangelism. Now, as soon as I say this, I don't know about you, but for some people, it immediately evokes fear. Like, all right, where are you going with this, Stuart? Is this, is this the one where you give us some homework, like we're going to share the gospel with somebody? Because that's super scary. I know, I know. Listen, over, over 48 years, I have done, I can't, count how many evangelism courses i have read books on evangelism i have i have tried to to learn these quirky little formulas in you know how to share your faith with somebody else and not get frightened and not frighten them as well and you know i just kept getting frightened um i, I don't know that i've that i've ever felt comfortable with my ability in this regard. So if, so if you feel a little bit like, oh, I'm not your classic evangelist, it's okay. It's okay. You're in good company. Nonetheless, I think there's an encouragement for you tonight. Remember, part of being an envoy of grace means being an ambassador. Being an ambassador means being a messenger. It means you are serving 
under somebody of great authority who has a very important message, and you are now representing them, and as the messenger, you are passing that, that message on. So let's explore this a little bit together. And I, I really believe that God wants to encourage your hearts and, and show you tonight how you are indeed one of Christ's chief ambassadors, and you have been commissioned to reach people that nobody else has the ability to reach. Do you believe that? I really do. I believe that there are people in your life situation, in your field of influence, that you meet that I will never meet. That, that some other superhero Christian is never going to meet. That some capital E, amazingly gifted evangelist is never going to meet. But you're going to meet them. And you're God's person in their life. He's equipped you and you have everything you need. And, and let me explain why. Well, firstly, the first part of this verse is we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, it's important to understand that as, as messengers from God, there is a message. And it's the message of good news, isn't it? And wherever there is good news, it implies that there is perhaps also bad news. That's right. There is good news because there is also, also bad news. Now, we have to understand this a little bit, that, that we are battling a little bit in this day and age, um, a, a little bit of a, a doctrine of universalism that is creeping in. What does universalism mean? It, it, it kind of is this, this kind of fluid sort of thinking, and it's been around for a while, but, but God is so loving and so gracious that one day he'll get everybody over the line, just trust him and uh, relax a little. Okay, that's kind of not entirely how you'll read it in a theology book, but, but that's kind of the essence of it. Somehow or another, God can't be that mean. Well, he's not mean. He's very, very good. He's very, very good. He's holy. He's good. He's just. And his justice demands that he's going to do something about everything in this world that stinks. And if he didn't, he wouldn't be good. There is a beautiful, beautiful verse in this regard when people, people ask me, you know, how can this God of love condemn people to, to an eternity without him? Well, this God of, God of, God of love is, is, is better than, than you can imagine. When you think of goodness, you have no idea what goodness really is. In Genesis Chapter 18, Abraham is interceding for, for Sodom, and, and, and he, he figures that there's at least just a few righteous people there because God is about to judge this very, very wicked city. I mean, this, this city is just renowned for its wickedness. People are crying out, please, God, if you are truly good, if you are truly just, you have to do something about this wicked city. And Abraham... Before God destroys it, Abraham is crying out and he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. And here is the classic verse that you can, you can memorize this and remember it for all time. Will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? He will. He will. The answer is implicit there. Will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? But think about the context there. The context is that God will not mix up and confuse the righteous amongst the wicked. But there's also an acknowledgement there, isn't there? That wickedness must be dealt with. If it's not, God's not fair. 
He's not just. He's not good. The judge of all the earth will do that which is right. Every now and again, I'm asked to take a funeral, and, and those who are grieving the loss of a loved one, they say, you know, Stuart, to be quite honest, we don't really know where such and such stood with the Lord. What do you think? Do you think they might be in heaven? Oh, we just don't know. I often say the same thing. I, well, you know what? It's not for us to judge. We actually don't know the answer to that question. And I'm sorry that for, you, know, you don't have the assurance of knowing the answer. But I'll tell you what you do have the assurance of in this particular instance. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God has no problem with time and we don't know what goes on. In the mind of someone, in the last few seconds before they die, all we know that God is in control of time. And it only takes an instant to turn a heart towards him. In the meantime, you can trust this. Will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? He will, every time. You may not know where a particular person stands or has stood in terms of their relationship with God, but you know God and you know his heart and you know his goodness. And you know that every single time he will do that which is, which is right. And this God has a wonderful message of good news. And we are his messengers there is good news because there is bad news. And here's God's plan, his very simple plan for winning the world. Frank Lorbuck said it this way, the simple program of Christ for winning the whole world is to make each person he touches magnetic enough with love to draw others. Let me repeat that a little bit slower. It's profound, it's beautiful. But the simple plan of Christ for winning the whole world to himself is to make each person, you and I, he touches so magnetic with love that we will draw others to God. It's a beautiful plan, isn't it? And there we are, his messengers, his envoys of grace, his ambassadors. And we are serving God's, God's purposes. Many, many years ago, I shared this in the morning service, and some people actually remember this moment, probably 16 years ago in this church, um, we were here, not, as, not in our pastoral capacity, but just as members of the church, and God called us to serve overseas. It was either that or the church decided, they came together and decided, where's the furthest place we could send the hunts? Anyway, they decided it was a ship called the Dulos, and we went, we went and served with OM on, on board the Dulos. But before we went, the pastor at that time, David Chitalia, rang me and he said, Stuart, before you go, would you mind preaching? And by the way, could you do a children's talk? And by the way, could you help explain to the congregation and the children the relationship between the church and mission? I said, Sure. And so I started to give the message that I was going to preach a lot of thought. And then the night before, we were busy packing and doing all the sorts of things you do before you take a, a family of four children overseas. And, and I suddenly thought that night as I crawled into bed, exhausted, we just packed another umpteen boxes. And I suddenly thought, oh, I'm going to do a children's talk as well. What am I going to do? And, and I thought, oh, I'll think about it in the morning. I'm too tired. I'll tell the story. And I just felt this little rebuke, not from Bron, but from God. The rebuke from Bron would come later, I'll explain. But I felt this little rebuke like, Stuart, you haven't even prayed. You're going to make up a story like, you know, kids' ministry is that. God wants to speak to these kids. I said, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. My bad. What would you like me to share? And 
And anyway, immediately, I had this thought. It was a bizarre thought. I'd never had it before. I had this thought. So I, I woke Bron up. She'd, she'd fallen asleep. I said, hey, honey, have we packed the popcorn machine? That's when, that's when I got, got a very, very special, special look from her, one I've never forgotten. And, and she, she said, oh, I think I can find it for you. Why do you want to know? And she fell asleep again. Anyway, I, I, just, I just lay there just thinking about the popcorn machine, and, and God put some ideas together. So the next morning, we grabbed out the popcorn machine. We used to meet in an old high school hall, and some of you remember those days. And, and uh, I was able to prepare. The kids would come up and they'd sit, sit at the front of stage. I put the popcorn machine right on the stage with a box covering it. As the kids gathered, I said to them, hey, what do you, what do you think I've got under this box? And I was doing my best kids worker type impersonation. And uh, they were all guessing all sorts of things, Jesus and so forth. I said, no, it's actually, and I ripped the box off and I said, it's a church. And they're staring at a popcorn machine and then staring at me like I've kind of gone crazy. And they're saying, no, no, it's not a church. It's a popcorn machine. I said, whoa, 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 hang on. Let me show you how my popcorn machine is just like a church. So swinging the cord in front of them, I said, how do you make this thing work? You know, what, what, what makes it actually do something? And I said, you've got to plug it into the power. And I said, that's right. I said, well, and as I plugged it in the power, needing to buy a little bit of time here, I had to get this thing heated up. As I plugged it into the power, I said, well, the same with the church. The church is powerless if it's not plugged into God. The church has to be plugged into God. Um, this is actually Pentecost Sunday, as many churches would celebrate it. Acts 1.8, Jade read it out before, is a very, very special, uh, special verse. But you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There's the promise, a wonderful promise of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit would come and the church would receive power. And then I asked the kids, okay, we've got it plugged in now and it's, and it's operating, it's turned on. What, what, what happens inside here to all those little cor corn kernels? And I had a few in my hand, you know, little, little hard little things, aren't they? They really break a tooth. And uh, I said, what happens to those corn kernels? And I said, well, it gets hot in there. And I said, exactly, same with the church. When we're plugged into the power of God and God's Spirit is allowed to move amongst us, it gets warm inside the church. The atmosphere changes. And I said, what happens to the corn kernels? And they said, they pop. I said, not only do they pop, they turn inside out, don't they? Well, the same in God's church. When we're plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit, it gets hot inside here and sometimes uncomfortably so. But you know what? God is at work and His Spirit is transforming us. We pop, we explode with God and his goodness, and we turn inside out. And I said, but there's one difference between the church and my popcorn machine. The instructions say that I should never take the lid off. What would happen if I took the lid off? And then the kids got really excited because they knew. <laughs> they said, it'll go everywhere. I said, what is he? And they said, yeah. So we said, well, God says with his church, we're not supposed to keep the lid on. If we keep the lid on, all these corn kernels, they only get all sort of crusty, aren't they? We don't want that. So we're supposed to take the lid off and let it all out. And so as I did that, all of the, all of the popcorn started to, to erupt and, and spill over the edges. And most of it was just falling, you know, within a foot or two. But every now and again, in that wonderful way that 
everyone giving a kids' church just hopes for, a kids' kids' talk just hopes for. One of the little kernels just popped and sprang. It was a good seven meters over towards the pianist, and it was oh, it was, oh, it was a beautiful, beautiful little moment. But it illustrated the fact that you know what, we're not supposed to keep the lid on church. We're supposed to take the lid off. We're supposed to go out from here. This is our time of consecration. This is our time where we come apart from the world and remind ourselves we serve a holy God and we are called to be a holy people. Be holy because I am holy. So here is our time for consecration. This is where we remind ourselves who we are, but we don't stay here. We get crusty. We go, we then get commissioned at the end of a service like this, and we go out from here. And most of us, we just, you know, in the suburbs and that sort of thing, Eltham and beyond and around Melbourne and so forth. A few of us will do country trips this week. But every now and again, somebody gets sent all the way over to Thailand. Somebody gets sent to Japan. Somebody gets sent to the Philippines. Somebody gets sent to Greece. And, and, and God has a way of identifying just a few precious saints where he wants them to dramatically change their postcode because somebody needs to receive the message. But we're all Christ's ambassadors called to be Jesus wherever Jesus says to be. One church in the US that I visited on one occasion, it had right over the exit door, as everybody was, was pouring out, right over the exit door, you are now entering the mission field. I thought that was a great reminder of the responsibility we have to, to take this, this moment in which we're being just blessed by the presence of God and to, and to bless others with that same presence as we carry Christ within us out into the marketplace. We have a time of consecration, but then we have a time of commissioning. We are Christ's ambassadors. You and I are Christ's ambassadors. And then the second part of this verse is, it's as though God is making his appeal through you as though God were making his appeal through you. Here's an interesting thing. The gospel, the good news, this message, this is God's appeal. How many times have you done an evangelism course or you've been, been trying to find out what's the best way to share the gospel and you've been honing the message? You've been making the appeal. You've been trying to work to make it make sense. You've been trying to take you know, all of this grand theological scope that explains God's desire to reconcile the world to him. You've been taking that and trying to map it out into four principles or four laws or five steps or whatever it might be. And you found it pains to do so because you know what? We're not supposed to make up the message. God makes his appeal through us. I often think, you know what, this whole, whole evangelistic effort is so much simpler than we often think. We make it rather complex in our efforts to make it simple. But this is God's appeal. This is God's message. Do you remember when we were exploring the I in abide, imitate Christ, and we were trying to learn what does it mean to imitate Jesus in his ministry? So we had a look at the idea of ministry, and we decided that it's, Really, the best English word that we have for minister is really a waiter. A minister is a waiter, not the chef. 
It is, it is God in the, in the kitchen who cooks up what humanity needs. He prepares the dishes, rings a bell, ding, take this to table four. Okay, thanks, God. Well, smells interesting. Okay, go to table four. You know, <laughs> here, here it is. We didn't order that. Hey, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the waiter. You know, you want to talk to the chef? I'd love you to talk to the chef. Yeah, that's, that's our job as Christ's ambassadors. We're not the chef. We don't make up the dishes. We just do the delivery. God, God is making his appeal. In this regard, this is very, very encouraging. Paul describes it this God this way. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Many times we can find ourselves in situations where, so you're a churchgoer, huh? Are you one of those really lunatic ones? Yeah, like we all aren't, you know, and then you, you put on the spot, right? And you've got to say, you know, yes, no, oh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This, this message of salvation, for it is the power of God to save someone. In other words, this appeal that God is making, this message that, that God wants to speak through us in and of itself actually has power to transform a life. You and I can, we can get caught up in apologetics. We can, we can kind of, you know, apply all of our logic and reason to, to why we believe God is real and, and so on and so forth. But you know what? And my wife said this so, you know, beautifully and poetically. She said, I've never known somebody to lose an argument and be won into the kingdom of God. We don't seem to, to win people to God by causing them to lose a debate. There's, there's a place for apologetics. There's a place for reason. There's a place for logic. But at the end of the day, it is by grace that you have been fa- saved and that by faith so that nobody can boast. We're talking about the power of God here at work. This is God's appeal, and it's a very, very powerful appeal. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul talks about the veil that often covers a person's heart. And he says, only in Christ is that veil taken away. This requires the power of God to remove the barriers so that people can understand him. In chapter 4, verse verse 4, Paul is talking about, about God who... At the beginning of time, at creation said, let there be light, and there was light. And now he applies that verse to the new dawning light on somebody as they are saved, as they become a Christian. And he says, he says this, for God, who said, let there be light, made his light to shine in our hearts. That same creative work way back in Genesis is now the creative work that is at work in our lives when we come to salvation. God, who says, let there be light, says, in your heart, let there be light. This is the power of God that, that saves us. We can look at the four laws and principles and ways to explain this gospel, but, but the simple truth of it is that God is at work in the life of people to save them, and we can have confidence in the message that we have been given and that he gives us in a given moment. Again, Acts 1.8, you will receive power. When my spirit comes upon you, and then what? You will be my witnesses. Here is power to witness, to testify to the reality of Jesus Christ in you. Holy Spirit power. That's why we've often said all ministry, including evangelism, all ministry is spirit-initiated, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered. 
It's the Holy Spirit, the administrator of God's grace, who actually does the work of evangelism. We just have to be the mouthpiece. We just have to be willing to take that dish, that message from the Father's heart over to whoever he says deliver it to. There's power in that message. And you can trust him in this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. It's as though he were making his appeal. It's his appeal through us. Now, here's where he uses and delights in using you and I. Who you are trumps what you know every time. Now, you might say, why does God want to make his appeal through me? I'm nothing special. I'm no theologian. I'm no Bible scholar. You know, people ask me tricky questions about the Bible, tricky questions about God, tricky questions about this or that, and I get stumped all the time. Like, I don't know. I'm just not very good at this. But you know what? Your life, the testament of who you are, of Jesus Christ within you, that is powerful. And who you are trumps what you know every single time. There is somebody out there who will listen to what you have to say because of who you are. But they may not listen to the next, you know, the greatest evangelist or whoever it is on YouTube who seems to be, you know, so articulate and so clever and so forth. It all has its place, mind you. But God chooses you to be his messenger, his ambassador. We often think that, you know, these, these evangelists, these capital E evangelists, they're amazing, you know. And we have them in this church, and God uses them powerfully. You, maybe you know one. You know, they lean up against a lamppost. The thing gets saved. They walk past a dog, and it falls to its knees. You know, it's just people who are used by God in incredible ways to have an impact for him. And you might think, well, I'm not like that. I'm not a capital E evangelist, like a big capital L leader or a whatever it might be. I'm just a little E evangelist. And God chooses you. He loves to use his whole church to be witnesses for him. Your qualification as an evangelist, as a witness, is Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. If you have Christ in you, you are qualified. You are Christ's ambassador. Essentially, the message that you will have every time is the reality of Jesus living in you. What does that mean? How has that transformed you? And we'll, in subsequent weeks, we'll, we'll get to explore a little bit more. Well, you know, how does this work in, in everyday life? But the important thing to, to just capture tonight is that we are Christ's ambassadors and God chooses to make his appeal through you. Yes, you. Your ordinary Monday life. This week, this week might look kind of like a pretty average week in your life. But this week, you are going to encounter people and God chooses to use you to reach them in some small way. Now, it might not be everyone that you see this week, you are going to, you are going to be able to share every aspect of, of this good news, this amazing message that it takes a lifetime to get your head around anyway. But in some small way, I know that God wants to use you as an envoy of grace and at the appropriate time, he will, he will give you words. 
when I sat in that little church, convinced that I had just walked through one of the darkest places on earth. We were in for a bit of a treat, you know. The singing would start and a band which they didn't have a whole lot of instruments, to be quite honest. But they're singing and the sound of their voices together, beautiful singing and dancing that, that actually made our dancing look pretty bad, uh, come to think of it. But anyway, the, the worship that erupted from this little church on the outskirts of this slum there in Matumba was just beautiful. God was present in that place. It was amazing. And, and a little choir, their youth choir, came out to sing to us. And, and I tell you, it was, it was beautiful. It was like heaven was open for a moment. And, and, and this was a little, little angelic choir singing just for us. And there, right there, in what I estimated to be one of the darkest places on earth, their light shone. Do you know what the verse was that they had up on the wall? It seemed so ambitious and yet, it was spot on. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses two images of what the church should be. He firstly says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. In verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There in that little church on the outskirts of a slum in one of the darkest places I had ever been, right up there on the wall for everybody to see, was Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They were taking seriously the mandate to shine for God in that very, very dark place. There, this little, little church was salt, and this little church was light. They were like a, like a shining city on a hill that could not be hidden. And God was using them to, to great effect, to, to represent him, to perform good deeds, and to bring glory to the Father. You know, for our light to shine, we simply need to allow Christ within us to have all of us to reign supreme and to shine through us and for us to, to do whatever we can to not get in the way, to not block that view, but to let, let the love and the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus Christ just shine out from within us. And there's something special about when we do it together so that we have the impact of a whole city of lights shining from a hill and can be seen from a great distance amidst great darkness. That's God's plan. That's the way he loves to use the church. And, and that's how he wants to win the world to himself. Essentially, it is out of the overflow of who you are that God is going to deliver his message. You as his ambassador. Your good deeds, your life, the life of Jesus shining through you is how he is going to reach a fallen world. You know, very, very shortly we will send a team overseas just for a short enough time that they will not be able to learn the Greek language and yet we're hoping to have an impact somehow for God in a distant land. In rural villages around Greece where very little English is spoken. How is that possible? I have watched through successive trips God use us again and again and again. That international language called the smile. 
And as we hand the word of God in modern Greek to Greek households, and with a smile, just give them a simple greeting, it's amazing the barriers that are overcome. I stood with a man and there was a translator on one occasion in a very, very distant village right up on the border of Macedonia. Nobody comes to this village. And it looked like it. Uh, when, election, when it was election time, everybody made promises of making better roads and, and, and doing all sorts of things for this village. And with tears in his eyes, this old man says, they never come. He said, we don't even get salespeople here. They don't even bother coming and selling mobile phones in this area. Nobody comes here. The government's forgotten us. And in more tears, my children, my grandchildren, they never come here. Nobody comes here. Why are you here? And through a translator, we just said we wanted to just bring you God's word. It's a book of life and a book of hope. It's transformed our lives. We think it can do the same for you. And more and more tears, he, he just thanked us again and again and again. And then he said, as he descended the stairs from where he'd been standing with a walking stick, very slowly, very slowly, he said, well, every house in this village needs to get one of those Bibles. Come with me and I'll take you to the ones I'm sure you'll never find by yourselves. <laughs> and so very slowly, <laughs> a team followed this beautiful old gentleman. As, we did, as he helped us deliver Bibles to these, to these houses. God just loves to use us regardless of our capacity, regardless of our competency. With the love of Jesus Christ inside of you, he will draw all men to himself. We simply need to exalt Christ, to lift Christ up, and that's what he will do. So what makes the difference? What makes you a good ambassador for Jesus Christ? It's Christ in you. It's abiding in Jesus Christ. And the more we do that, the better equipped we are to be his envoys of grace. And guess what? The more we become envoys of grace, sharing the grace which has touched our life, the more it's true, you know, we enjoy that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. As we abide in Christ, he abides in us. He causes us to bear much fruit. This is too our Father's glory. That's how it works. That's why he chooses the foolish things in this world, really, to be his ambassadors. So I come back this week to the same questions as, as last week. How can we abide in Christ more and more? When we think about that, that discipline of meeting all together, do you know, I know it's tempting sometimes to try and go it alone. But in truth, that is a very hard journey. As we commit to doing this all together, encouraging one another and spurring one another on, what are the three connections that you are going to have with other Christians this week that is going to help you to that end? Remember, if three feels like a lot, the disciples would meet daily in the temple courts. You know, they knew it. They knew that they can't do this alone. Well, we've kind of halved that and rounded it down. We've made it easy. It's just three connections with other Christians in a given week. What will those three connections be with you? Well, this would be, you know, a larger gathering is one of them, a growth group maybe, maybe a little prayer triplet or an accountability group. I, I've got lots of suggestions for you if you want to talk to me afterwards. But what are the three connections that are going to help you to, to not be a, 
sort of a hand solo in all of this, a lone ranger, but to actually do this to, together. Um, B, be still. That's another discipline there. Um, where in your, your daily schedule are you going to find time to just be quiet, to be still before the Lord and to know that he is God? Every day, a little bit of time. Will it be in the, in the early hours of the morning, waking up with a, with a cup of coffee? Will it be in your lunch hour at work? Will it be in the evening? Where will it be? But where will you find time to be still with Jesus? The D, our devotion, our love for one another. Look around you. Who do you see? Who don't you see? Who is it within our fellowship that God is saying, I want you to reach out to such and such. They're part of the family. I want you to love them. Because if you're truly my disciple, you will love one another. That's our devotion to each other. Who's that going to be? Do you see somebody this week that you can, you can encourage and, and spur on? Um, that's the D. I skipped the I, didn't I? Imitate Christ. When you think about Jesus... What is the one characteristic that you absolutely love about him and you'd like to see more of that quality in your life? And over the next week, how can you cooperate with, with God to make that a reality? You can think of any, any aspect of this magnificent Jesus that we, we love and serve, you want. But what's that one characteristic which, which is so appealing to you and you know that the Holy Spirit would love to develop this in you? This week, what, what is it? And, and how can you cooperate with the Spirit of God to make that a reality? Um, and then, of course, being envoys of grace. Um, this week, who are you praying for? Family, friends, neighbors, workmates, just maybe one of those chance random meetings. Who is it that you're praying for that you would, that you would love? to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. You would love to be that messenger. You would love to have words that, that somehow, a message from God that somehow is going to impact their life. Is there, is there somebody you can think of? Somebody that you're, you're pretty sure you might meet them this week. But anyway, either way, somebody you're praying for, that they will be a recipient of God's grace and they would come to a saving knowledge of him. Well, there are a couple of disciplines that, that will help us in in this whole abiding, as we abide in Christ, guess what? He, his rule and his kingdom comes in your life and enables you to be the very best ambassador for Christ that you can be. And again, there is no special elite SWAT team of Christians that he has in mind. He chooses you. You are his first choice. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God we're making his appeal through us. Let's pray. It feels like an overwhelmingly awesome thing to be used of you, Heavenly Father, in this regard. We can't help but think, who are we? And wow. How could you possibly... Use somebody like us, but we are reminded that you choose us, we are your ambassadors, you delight in making your appeal through people just like us, ordinary people just like us, and you love to take 
our simple, ordinary life and use us to be your hand and your voice in reaching a world that is hurting and lost and without you has no hope. The truth is we don't have to go to Nairobi to find dark places. All around us, here in one of the most livable cities in the world, there are dark places in people's hearts because your light is yet to shine upon them. We know some of them. We're friends with some of them. We love some of them and we'd love for them to to know the hope that is in us. You'd like to shine in some of those dark places and Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use our availability to that end. We look forward to sharing how you have done that in answer to our prayer. In your precious name we pray these things. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.